Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where you can earn a merit badge encrypted identification. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Have you got your badge in food history yet? No, but I do have at least three in amateur archaeology. So this is where I explain uh, to you that you you get one merit badge. <laughs> you don't you acquire can't. them from doing the the thing. You meet a set of requirements, and then you get the badge for meeting that set of requirements. <laughs> See, the way I picture merit badges is if you do it really good, you get more because it means you're better. No, I, there might be levels to some of them. Like I'm a first <laughs> level uh, food historian. But for for the most part, it is like I accomplished all the requirements for um, out of spear photography. But what if I earn a merit badge in amateur archaeology, but then keep doing amateur archaeology? Then you just get better at amateur archaeology. And eventually it could be professional archaeology. But why would I want to keep doing archaeology if I don't get recognized for it? Well, that's why you become a professional archaeologist and then get a cool hat. And then you're Indiana Jones. Welcome to Afternoonified Summer Camp. <laughs> what is amateur archaeology if not grave robbing? That's exactly what I assumed it meant, and that was what the joke was. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes. Welcome to our summer camp, uh, which we won't be staying in camp for most of it. No, we actually, we last year for summer camp, we did a road trip. And then what was your episode for summer camp? The Lake Boda murders. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we did stay at camp for that one. Uh, we are going to do kind of a jet set around the world trip, which is not what you do in camp. Um, but consider it, you know, you know, when you have those days, like when we did Spanish class in elementary school, we had a day where like we like played that we were going on a plane to Spain. And so like you had to you had a passport and you like got on a plane, and then you got to eat Spanish food. Think of it, that's how I kind of think of it. We didn't get to do any of that shit when I took Latin class in elementary school. Well, it's because you went to sad Catholic school. I guess technically we went to mass, if you want to consider that a sad trip to Italy. (laughs) Isn't every mass a sad trip to Italy? Yes. Uh, Yeah, so we're, yeah, we're gonna do some spooky camp themed stuff for taking trips. We're on summer vacation, but we decided yeah. to make it a camp because it made for a cute t-shirt. I wrote a joke about a merit badge and we ran with it. <laughs> yeah, it's like Sarah sent me the cold open when I was stoned and bored, so I made a bunch of merit badges that are stickers now. <laughs> for you guys. I mean, this is basically the strategy behind most of our merch is we think of a funny joke and we put it on a sticker. Uh, when is this coming out? It's coming out next week. Yeah, safe to say. I uh, feel like I wasted that Barbie episode three years ago. Yeah. I feel like I wasted Midge Midge 2020 three years ago. You know, we should really re-release that Barbie episode on Saturday. It was like a special. (laughs) Just remind people it exists. Yeah. It was the first one we did together. Oh my god, it is! Beautiful memory. Which actually is perfect because this is the 150th episode. So it's kind of like celebrating a milestone with another milestone. With another milestone, which is the Barbie movie. Our Oppenheimer episode will be our last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, write that down, because that's happening. I'm not allowed to talk about the Manhattan Project until the podcast is ending. (laughs) Uh, Just from, like, the talk on threads, and incidentally, I know that I predicted threads existing. I don't want to hear about it. I'm sure everyone is already thinking it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, from like the general talk on threads and other social media, I don't know if people know how Oppenheimer's story ended. (laughs) You mean with like Nagasaki and the murder of hundreds of thousands of Japanese civilians? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if, if people like, obviously, some people have grasped that. But like, for the the non-casual nerd. I mean, I just always kind of assumed that was part of the joke. The joke? I mean, I can't... I know. I know what Oppenheimer is about. I can't imagine anyone not knowing what Oppenheimer is about. But I am probably not your casual, everyday person. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, I don't have a gauge 
for that anymore. Because I'm like, oh yeah, it ends with the murder of, of civilians and skin sloughing off and, uh, you know, Oppenheimer being disavowed by the American government that he's... Whatever. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see um, if they uh, cover that respectfully. Uh, yeah. Maybe it'll Probably. just end with the guy, like, getting in the plane to fly to Japan, and then it cuts to black. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the whole movie is probably going to be, like, wrestling with that legacy, but... Yeah, we didn't need to that bomb Japan. It feels like Japan. a Christopher Nolan kind of thing to do. No, we didn't. Uh, basically, we just wanted them to do a conditionless surrender, and they wouldn't. And so we were like, but if you don't, we're going to bomb you. And then they didn't, and so we bombed them. And also, we kind of wanted to freak Russia out a bit. Oh, absolutely. It was kind of a power... This is not at all what this episode is about. I have to stop. Sarah, Emily, please. you have to save it for the final episode. <laughs> we also... Yeah, not to, like, um, wildly change the subject, but we were talking about absolutely nothing related to Your thing was the actual today. subject. I've just been holding in all of this Manhattan Project knowledge. Today, we are going to do Around the World in 80 Cryptids. But actually, more like 11 cryptids, because 80 is too many. Um, but we are going to take a wonderful tour of the world uh, and learn about cryptids from other countries. And then after that, we'll have arts and crafts, and then we'll have archery, and then we'll do a campfire. Yeah. Only one of those things is true. I mean, the other two can be true in your imagination. Technically, the episode I'm doing for camp could be construed as very large canoeing. Yes. My sources for our lovely episode full of cryptids, uh, we have Mental Floss, All It's Interesting, Wikipedia, the BBC, Irish Central, Cryptid Wiki, Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, Live Science, and Thought Catalog. Thank you to all of our sources. Cryptozoology sounds so legitimate for something that's... <laughs> Here's the funny thing. For like the first 20 minutes I was using the Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, I just assumed it was Cryptid Wiki. Because it's also on, like, a fandom wiki site. It's just like, oh, it's the same thing. No, there's two different ones. They're both very helpful. One of my favorite activities is looking up, like, characters from Alien on the various fan wikis and, like, comparing. Uh, is there more? anything better than a fan wiki? No, because it's nerds talking about nerd shit. Love it. It's so great. Which could be the tagline of this podcast. <laughs> Speaking of nerd shit, we begin our international trip by heading north to Canada, uh, specifically Okanagan Lake in British Columbia, where a mysterious aquatic creature named Ogopogo is said to live. Oh, shit. I know about this one. Also, so British many... Columbia is local. It's Ish. my local part of Canada. You could drive there in a day. Eh. Eh. Yeah, it can't take that. You can drive from Minnesota to Colorado in like 13 hours. You can get to Canada in a day. Okay, what lake did you say this was at? I'm not saying you can go to this specific lake. I'm just saying you could get to British Columbia. Okay, so I'm going to look I up... I don't know where the hell this lake is, other than, like, British Columbia. All right, I take it back. You can get to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia in five hours. That's nothing. For some reason, I thought it was longer. Yeah, you'd be surprised. At you can drive across all of Washington in five hours. Yeah, but you're going the shorter way. They are, Oregon and Washington are both very squat states, so. Yeah, we're wide. <laughs> Minnesota is like the opposite. We're very tall. Like five hours, I don't think would get you from top to bottom of Minnesota. I think it's That's like one eight. of those things but that I don't think Europeans understand about the United States. Is how big everything is. Yeah, because like, I, I've heard that they think it's weird that like when someone asks where we're from, instead of saying the United States, we say like, oh, I'm from Oregon. It's because Oregon is the size of your whole fucking country. <laughs> Yeah, like, there are 50 states for a reason. They're all very different. They're all very different. Anyway, They're so that's each their own country. So we're going to Canada, you say? We're, let's, yeah. Who cares about the United States? We're in Canada now. So, at 79 miles in length, with a maximum depth of 762 feet, Okanagan Lake seems like the perfect place to hide a lake monster. Ogopogo has been described as a serpentine creature with smooth, dark skin, uh, either green or black in color, and it measures up to 50 feet in length. Uh, in some reports, the creature has the head of a horse, snake, or sheep, which is... Those are very different animals. Yes. I mentioned maybe there's like one of each. 
Who knows? Like one head? Like it's a three-headed situation? Or like there's three monsters? There are three monsters, and they each have a different head. That's what I like to believe. Ooh, different flavors. Yeah. Uh, so reports of sighting by sightings by white settlers began popping up as early as the 1870s, but the legend of a creature in the lake actually originates with the native Sikwumbik and Silic people. Uh, so to the Silic, the creature is known as Nhaha Itko, which translates to the sacred spirit of the lake. So in their stories, the spirit was dark in color, again with the head of the horse, uh, This, but also with the antlers of a deer. So better, honestly. That's pretty dope looking. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and while that does sound intimidating, they viewed Naha Iko not as a monster, but as protector of the valley. Yeah, that, that concept is kind of a, a white people thing. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So before Europeans arrived, which is around 1809, the Silic had been living there for at least 12,000 years. And the importance of water was very central to their beliefs. So they would feed the spirit of the lake, like symbolically, by giving it small offerings, either tobacco or sage, sometimes salmon, just as kind of a way to thank the lake for providing them with food and water and like a living. That's so nice. Yeah. So white settlers arriving to the region in the 19th century observed this practice and, as they are wont to do, completely misappropriated the whole thing. <laughs> so soon they were telling these stories of a fearsome serpent in the lake that required a live animal sacrifice to ensure a safe passage across the water. Uh, Why the we gotta mon- be like this? Why, why <laughs> we gotta mon- do? I just, it makes me think, I, I go back to this so often, but the episode of Parks and Rec, where there's this native guy and he's like, all you gotta do to freak out white people is just tell them there's a curse. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So the lake monster inspired such fear that settlers began patrolling the lake with guns. Oh my god! What are you going to shoot the ancient water spirit, you dipshit? (laughs) Part of the hysteria likely stemmed from a mistranslation of the name. So instead of water spirit, Nhaha Itko was interpreted as water demon. (sighs) Sounds scarier, I guess. By the 1920s, everyone had become much more relaxed about the whole thing, and the legend became more of a tactic for luring tourists in than, like, a genuine fear. That's uh, fine. Yeah. So, Nha Iko was branded Ogopogo after an English folk song with the lyrics, His mother was an earwig, his father was a whale, a little bit ahead, and hardly any tail, and Ogopogo was his name. And you can... Sp- Ogopogo is one of those words, you can spell it backwards and forwards the same way, so, I mean, I guess it's extra catchy. It's a, um... Whatever the fuck that's called. Palindrome. Yes. You know, there's really a missed opportunity in not making palindrome a palindrome. Like you could. It's kind of like onomatopoeia. (laughs) With that meaning. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So Ogopogo caught on. uh, And the original legend was more or less forgotten. Uh, (laughs) Ogopogo mania reached its height in the 1980s when the region's tourism Tourism Association offered a million dollar reward for proof of the lake monster's existence. Is that like Beatles mania? Because I think they did that with the Beatles. Yeah, I I, I just assume people like stood at the edge of the lake and like screamed. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as you do. (laughs) So Greenpeace, not wanting to be outdone on a publicity stunt. Oh, for the love of God. (laughs) Then came forward demanding that Ogopogo must only be captured on film as they were declaring it an endangered species. Folks, it's not real. (laughs) Uh, While there have been a few sightings captured on video, most have been dismissed. Common explanations include otters swimming in a row because it's kind of it's one of those monsters. It's got kind of the humps. So, like, you'd see, like, three bumps in the water. It's lovely monster humps. Yeah, yes, it's lovely monster humps. Uh, it could also be a phenomenon called lake stratification, which I'm not going to get into, like, the science of it because I don't understand it. But essentially, like, when there's different, when water in the lake reaches different temperatures, like, it can cause waves to appear out of nowhere. And sometimes that may look like, a you know, an animal cresting the surface of the lake. Oh, also just wind. Yeah, I mean, there's always wind. <laughs> and sticks, logs, a lot of shit looks like monsters from a distance. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, people are so bad at judging the size of things, especially yep. <laughs> when it's, like, 50 feet away in a lake. Yeah, just terrible. So that is Ogopogo. Uh, from here, we are going down to South America. And for those of you who are fans of Bigfoot, and I know there are many who listen to this podcast, uh, I have some bad news. There is a better, cooler, scarier Bigfoot in the Brazilian Amazon, and this guy's got a big mouth on his stomach. You say better, but what you just said is objectively horrifying. (laughs) Yes, better. 
So the Mapinguari, a name that means roaring animal or fetid beast, depending on who you ask, Ugh. is a seven foot tall beast with matted reddish fur and long claws. And when it stands up, it is uh, it exposes a huge gaping mouth with sharp teeth on its snap- stomach, ready to snap up its prey. I uh, hate it. Oh, there are worse things. Just wait. Uh, the Mepinguari is believed to be bulletproof and apparently smells terrible. Uh, there are also some stories that add that it only has like one big eye, like a cyclops, which is cute. Upsetting. Uh, according to Brazilian legends, the Mepinguari was once an Amazonian shaman who was punished by the gods when he discovered the key to immortality. They transformed, transformed him into a hairy beast and he's been stalking the Amazon ever since. Uh, those living in the rainforest are said to fear the Mapinguari and will even move their entire village if they find footprints of the creature nearby. Just for a visual, I did picture a bunch of, like, Amazonian, like, natives picking up a village and just, like, scooting it. <laughs> just, yeah, like, picking up the little houses and just, like, walking ten feet away. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I was picturing, too. Uh, the traditional depiction of a Mapinguari is more ape-like, uh, while more modern sightings describe a creature much more akin to the giant sloth, except, you know, with the weird stomach mouth. Uh, this does fit with one of the more common explanations for the Mapinguari, uh, that it could be a giant megatherium sloth, uh, which roamed the Amazon like 11,000 years ago. Um, I think, you know, maybe it never actually went extinct. Maybe there are still giant sloths in the forest. Um one can only hope. I will. I would love it. Um, but there is a big sticking point, and that is the Megatherium was like a very gentle herbivore. And if you believe the stories, the Mapinguari is anything but. I mean, here's here's the thing. Uh, when anybody is seeing something that they don't recognize or expect, and they get scared, they may construe any kind of like movement interaction as threatening. Yeah. Also, like, if you see, like, a big thing in the forest, are you going to stick around to see if it's, like, friendly and, like, chill? I mean, if it's a big sloth, I might have to consider it. <laughs> Wouldn't, don't you think a giant sloth would give great hugs? Aw, it'd smell awful, but such good hugs. Such good hugs. Uh, so we're not done with lake monsters yet. We are going to head over to Ireland, uh, where the lake monsters are just giant bloodthirsty otters. I mean... <laughs> If you, well, this is more Scotland, but just picture, if you will, uh, a bipedal otter wearing a kilt, basically dressed like Braveheart, I guess, is, is where I'm going with that. Yes. It's pretty uh, great. So the Dorku, um, sometimes called the Irish crocodile, is said to be half fish, half hound, and 10 feet of hate. They are described as having a white pelt, black ear tips, and a black cross on their backs. Uh, so sightings of Dover Q date back to the late 1600s, leading credence to this theory or to the legend is the grave of a woman named Grace McLaughlin, who is believed to have been killed by one of the creatures in 1722. Her headstone actually even like features a depiction of the monster, which is that is too recent for it to be a thing. <laughs> we should have known better in the 1700s. So Grace, as the legend goes, lived in the town of Crivoli at the northwest northwest corner of Glenade Lock. So one morning after Grace had left to go to the lake to wash some clothes, her husband Terrence heard a blood-curdling scream. He rushed down to the lake only to find the mutilated body of his wife with a Dover Q sleeping on top of her. Terrence ran back home only to return to the lake with a dagger. Just quick thinking, I guess. I would not. I don't think that would be my first thought. Yeah. Uh, which he used to kill the Dovarku. As the creature died, it let out a whistling yell, and soon, to Terence's horror, its mate was soon rising from the lake. <laughs> the second Dovarku uh, gave chase, and after a lengthy and by all accounts bloody battle... I think you mean the Dober 2. It's the second one. Damn it, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make jokes that are better than mine in my episodes. <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> Terrence did battle with a big otter and he killed it. The end. <laughs> uh, is there any chance it was just a bear? I don't think there are bears in Ireland. Well, now we gotta... <laughs> are there bears in Ireland? Yeah, brown bears. Oh, huh. Haven't you, haven't you ever seen Brave? Which, again, I know is Scotland, but it's the same, like, area. Oh, yeah, that's fair. There's an entire Wikipedia article titled Bears in Ireland. I say that came up for me, too. 
Oh, yeah. They went to, they lived used to live in the Inishowan Peninsula. I've been there. Oh, I'm going to read that later. <laughs> oh, there's even Guinness ads with bears in them. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could have been a bear. Or just a really big otter. Could have been just a really big otter. Or a sea lion <laughs> that somehow got to the lake, because those motherfuckers will ruin you. I will say this is like one of the very few on this list. Like I don't have an explanation for. People just kind of accept that it's a big. No one offered any, I guess. Uh, So today, it's believed that the Jovarku are either very rare or possibly extinct. uh, If you believe that they ever existed at all, which I do. Debatable. (laughs) It is said that they can be found, can still be found in a lake on Ackle Island, just off the coast of County Mayo. Though they are supposedly migratory and don't necessarily live there all year round. This was not uh, elaborated on. I think it's very appropriate. There's a place in Ireland called County Mayo. Yes. Supposedly lovely. I don't think I've actually been there, but. I'm sure it is lovely. In the year 2000, Irish Irish. Irish artist Sean Corcoran and his wife claimed to have seen a queue in a lake on Omi Island in County Galway. They described it as large, dark, and with orange flippers. Probably not a bear. I'm starting um, to think these are sea lions. <laughs> According to Corcoran, Corcoran, the creature swam the width of the lake in what seemed like just a few seconds before leaping onto a huge boulder and letting out a haunting screech before finally disappearing. It's a sea lion. <sighs> Probably that would probably actually. I don't know if they have sea lions. It might just be a seal. Um, <laughs> are there sea lions? <laughs> Ireland, yes, yeah, it's a sea lion. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I'll accept that. Sea lions are the owls of uh, lake monsters. <laughs> this will not be. I will say not the first uh, explanation where seals are involved. So uh, while we're in the neighborhood, let's hop on over to Scotland. Uh, they have the Amfair Lemoor, otherwise known as the Big Grey Man, who is said to haunt the summit of Scotland's second highest mountain, Bean McDewey. Sarah, that's a ghost, not a cryptid, right? Mm-hmm. No. Because otherwise it's just a dude that people won't leave alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, l- let's read a little bit more about this Big Big dude, big, big gray dude, and uh, find out. Uh, so while there have been many reported encounters, it's rare for an eyewitness to actually see the big gray man. Uh, those that have describe it as being over 10 feet tall with long arms and broad shoulders. It is supposedly covered in short gray hair and is also very thin. So kind of like a hairy Slenderman. <laughs> Ew. Uh, more often than not, people report hearing the sound of its disembodied footsteps crunching over gravel, along with just like a general sense of unease, fear, or panic. Uh, some eyewitnesses claim they heard a high-pitched humming noise, ominously referred to as the singing, capital T, capital S. So dramatic. The big gray man itself remains cloaked in the fog of the mountain, stalking its victims until they realize that it is following them, at which point it will chase them off the mountain. I I don't know. <laughs> the first recorded encounter with the Gray Man was reported in 1925 by Professor J. Norman Colley, a member of the Royal Geographical Society, uh, as he recounted a solo hike he had made in 1891. This is a nice big long quote. I was returning from the cairn on the summit in a mist when I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. Every few steps I took, I heard a crunch and then another crunch as if someone was walking after me, but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. I said to myself, this is all nonsense. I listened and heard it again, but could see nothing in the mist. As I walked on and the eerie crunch, crunch sounded behind me, I was seized with terror and took to my heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles, nearly down to Rothamurka's forest. Whatever you make of it, I do not know, but there is something very queer about the top of Bean McDewey, and I will never go back there again. In my head, this guy is dressed like Jack Black in Jumanji. I like that picture. Apparently, this is like one of the guys that um, inspired. Uh, oh no, I don't think this is this guy. There's one. There's at least one guy in here that supposedly inspired Indiana Jones. I don't think it was this guy. Doesn't sound like, like it would be that guy. <laughs> no, he kind of seems kind of like a scaredy cat. But to yeah, be fair, Jack Black in Jumanji. <laughs> I would react that way. 
Uh, so explanations for the big gray man typically include hallucinations brought on by exhaustion or isolation. Uh, they also point to the possibility of infrasound, which can be generated by wind and often induces feelings of anxiety. That was actually one of the explanations for the Dyatlov uh, Pass incident. Yeah, I've heard that theory. Like, yeah, like the wind, something like the wind went over the mountain that caused that noise and kind of freaked everybody out. They figured out what happened there. I'll do an episode about it sometime. But uh, oh, yeah. fun fact, they used the uh, snow technology that they developed for the movie Frozen to uh, to help solve that mystery because it was such I a realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. I love it. <laughs> uh, so for the lucky or maybe unfortunate few that have claimed to have seen the big gray man, it's possible that they experienced an illusion known as the Brocken Spectre. Oh, Mountain specter. So under certain atmospheric conditions, when the sun is at a particular angle, a person's shadow can be cast onto the cloud bank around them, creating the illusion of like a large, sat- shadowy, indecidedly human-shaped figure. Interesting. Which I think is very cool. And I also can imagine that like if you're alone on the mountaintop, like... You're already not in a great mental space. Yeah, and like your own footsteps, you could be hearing them echo, which starts to freak you out. And then you see this big shadow. And yeah, it makes sense to me. I so it's not, neat. there's no like, it's not a dude. Like, we don't really have any like uh, lore for it other than some people have seen it. I mean, not that I read, but I okay. also like, this is a listicle episode. So it's not like I did a deep dive. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so travel guide. <laughs> yes. Uh, our next creature is the Vulpertinger. The, excuse me. The Vulpertinger. Isn't that a character from The Witcher? It is a cryptid originating in German folklore. So and more specifically, Yeah. More specifically, Bavarian folklore. So it is a hare with the, de- with the antlers of a deer and the wings, feet, and sometimes beak of a bird, depending on who is telling you the tale of the Vulpertinger. The premium jackalope. That's when you pay... <laughs> It is extra features in more ways than one. It is the German equivalent of the jackalope. Uh, So according to the legend that is told uh, in Bavaria, the first Volpertinger was born as a result of a hare and a roebuck mating. Um, The logistics of which seem complicated. Unlikely. Like roe deer. I looked him up like roe deer are kind of like a small species of a deer. They're like three or four feet. (laughs) Yeah. Still not. No. Um, also, where did the bird feet come in? God saw what was happening and he was like, well, this is already going to be bad, so fuck it. Yeah. Uh, so Bavarians would spin tales of the Volpertinger to travelers passing through the region, warning them to steer clear. Uh, while Volpertingers are small and eat only herbs, red, and insects, they also emit a terrible skunk-like odor. And anyone unlucky enough to come into contact with their saliva will start to grow patches of thick hair all over their body. Oh, it's not localized, so you can't just, like, find one, like, if you're balding and kind of yeah. sort that situation out? And that's what it sounds like. I yeah. didn't get the impression it was, like, where um, where you came into contact with the saliva. It was just kind of like you just started getting kind of hairy. I guess that's fair if they're using it as more of a threat than, like, a feature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, Volpertingers are basically the German jackalope, uh, right down to the fact that they are really just a fun hoax. Uh, so in and tavern owners looking to capitalize on the whole general vibe of the Bavarian Alps, stitched together bits of local forest animals and put them on display as like a fun little joke to play on the travelers. Uh, and even today, taxidermy Wolfertingers are also are often displayed in inns or sold to tourists visiting Bavaria. Who's coming home from vacation with a taxidermy animal is my question. I almost did. And this is where I made a fun connection. Because I was not aware of this legend, uh, but I was in Bavaria last spring. And when I was in uh, Rothenburg, October, uh, I snapped a picture. I was exploring the town very early in the morning. And I snapped a picture of a shop window. And I'm looking for this so I can send it to you. And I think the caption I wrote on Instagram was, who is she? Now we know. And uh, looking back... It was a Fulpertinger. I can't there say if I've, I've ever seen a jackalope in person. I I have no memory of it, but I did go to the Black Hills of South Dakota when I was like eight years old. So I have to imagine um, that jackalopes were involved. For some reason, I associate them with like the Southwest. Really? 
Yeah. I always thought of them as like a wall drug sort of thing. That's fair. Oh but my God, I, mean, I love it. Isn't it? I wish I had gone back and bought it now. I wish I'm, that like while I was on the trip, I was like, I should have gone back and like see, seen if that was a thing I could buy. Because what, what a souvenir. I'm so into that like lazy uh, nutcracker as well. He kind of looks like a little bear. Well, it looks like someone put a lot of work into carving his like body and the little buttons, and then they got to his face and they realized that they didn't know how to carve a face. Yeah, I'll I'll put this picture up on Instagram. Have no fear. All right. So as we're leaving Germany, I have to ask: Did you think that we were done with water monsters? No, you we're wrong. <laughs> I said no. <laughs> there are a lot of water monsters on this list. I think I just kind of like lake monsters. I mean, everyone kind of has their own. I mean, Oregon has its own lake monster. Like, there are lots of like lakes around. I mean, Minnesota has at least ten thousand of them. Uh, so you're you're gonna find a monster in at least like ten percent, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, there's so many lakes. There, the percentage of monsters is yeah significant. Uh, so next, we are traveling down to the Congo River Basin, which takes up most of Central Africa and is the second largest rainforest in the world after the Amazon. Well, currently. We'll see yeah. what they do to the Amazon. <laughs> uh, there you'll hear stories of a 35-foot-long quadrupedal herbivore that, if the descriptions are true, sounds suspiciously like a sauropod dinosaur. So, Mokele I mean, and Bembe. What lake monster doesn't kind of sound like a dinosaur? I think like most of them are supposed to be dinosaurs. I mean, Nessie like, is for sure a dinosaur. Everyone loves dinosaurs. Plesiosaurs? I, I, I understand. Is that the one? Huh? Plesiosaur? Plesiosaur? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Plesiosaur might be it. I don't know. But. I've only ever read it. Uh, so Mokele and Bembe, as the monster is called, is described as a large creature with smooth skin, a long neck and tail, and a single tooth or horn. Its name translates to one who stops the flow of rivers, which is simply the coolest thing I've ever heard. You said single tooth, and I did just kind of picture it like one big tooth in the front, like Spongebob. That's 100%. <laughs> Except it's not like uh, it's not like a human tooth. It's like kind of like a curved like dragon tooth. Oh, I was picturing just, just like a rectangular like tooth. <laughs> I think both are good. <laughs> I would take either. The buck tooth is is nice. Uh, so tales of a large mysterious creatures living in the Congo date back hundreds of years, but it is only in the last century or so that we and by we I mean specifically people outside of Africa there we go. have been interpreting <laughs> these stories specifically as dinosaurs. I mean. Uh, I'd buy it. Uh, so in, in 1909, in a book titled Beasts and Men, showman and zoologist Carl Hagenbach discussed some of the recent discoveries of dinosaur bones and speculated that there could be some species of sauropods still alive and hidden deep within the African rainforest. Eh. Hagenbach, uh, of course, had absolutely zero evidence of this and wasn't trying to, like, prove... Uh, he wasn't claiming it was true. He was just kind of speculating. The press ran with it anyway. Um, so like the Washington Post, oh my God, the Washington Post ran a story in 1910 announcing Brontosaurus still lives. I mean, he was a, a white guy in the 1900s. That is a f- primary source, Sarah. Like, you this don't need is, any. This is true. I mean, why wouldn't you just take a menace word? <laughs> in the years since there have been over 50 expeditions to the Congo in search of Mokele and Bembe, uh, but the only real... And I'm putting real in scare quotes. Uh, mm-hmm. Physical evidence found was a large claw-shaped footprint recorded by a French missionary in 1776. Uh, in 1992, a Japanese film crew produced aerial footage of something <laughs> parting the water of the lake. It was literally impossible to confirm what exactly the creature was. So, like, just to paint you a picture, some were like, it's Mokele and Bembe. Others were like, maybe it's a crocodile. <laughs> and others were like, that could probably be an elephant are also possibly maybe just some guys in a boat. <laughs> some guys in a boat is my favorite cryptid. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. Uh, for what it's worth, most mainstream experts believe that the tales of Mokele and Bembe, as reported by the natives of the region, uh, were probably inspired by the black rhinoceros, um, a species which was once common in the Congo, but is no longer found there. So it could just, you know, be something that's living on in folk memory, but they've, you know, Tales get passed down and they grow in the telling as they do. Well, I don't know if we talked about this before, but in, I think, South America, there's this, like, cat-like creature that uh, white people basically thought was a cryptid. 
and they were, like, hunting for it, like, this mysterious thing, and then they went to, like, a tribe out in the middle of nowhere, and they described huh. it, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the blah, 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 like, here's some teeth, here's a stuffed one, they live in the woods back there. <laughs> they just, like, no one had, like, asked any of the local tribes if they had Why seen Why would this. you? It's not like they have, haven't been living there for 10,000 years. Yeah, and they were like, yeah, this is just a normal animal. They just don't come out very often. Yeah, it's just it's just the woods cat. The uh, point is, ask the tribes. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll come in actually very relevant here in just a minute. Uh, so we are going to travel on from the rainforest of the Congo to the sandy dunes of the Gobi Desert, where if you're extremely unlucky, you may encounter the Olgoi Korkoi, better known as the Mongolian death worm. Oh, my God. Described as a large red worm that can grow up to five feet in length, the Mongolian death worm may not sound intimidating as like Emma Kalian Bembe or a big gray man, um, but it does spit toxic corrosive venom, and if that doesn't kill you, it will hit you with a bolt of electricity. Which it should not have the power to do. <laughs> Why wouldn't it? Uh, so the legend of the death worm has been passed down for generations by the nomadic tribes of Mongolia. It came to the attention of the Western world in 1926 when Rex Chapman Andrews, this is the guy, uh, one of the many paleontologists slash explorers who possibly inspired Indiana Jones, wrote a book called On the Trail of Ancient... (sighs) In his book, Chapman repeated the stories he had heard during his travels through Mongolia and even cited the Mongolian prime minister who described the worm as, quote, shaped like a sausage about two feet long has no head nor legs and is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. When you ima- it's a snake. Um when you imagine Mongolian death worm, I do picture like the sandworms from Dune or like Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, and of course. Admittedly the actual description is a little disappointing when you're comparing it to that, but at the end of the day it's still a lightning shooting it's still worm. yeah, it's still got lightning and poison. That's not great. It's a it's a shitty Pokemon to look at, but a great one to have on your team. Yeah, it, yeah. It, oh my god, it would be a poison electric type. There's only one poison electric type Pokemon, and that is Toxitricity and Toxel. Um, easily one of the best Pokemon because it looks like a fucking dinosaur. But I mean, of course, this is beside the point. It's not a worm. Uh, so Chapman heard many stories of the death worm at a gathering of Mongolian officials, stating, none of those present had ever seen the creature, but they all firmly believed in its existence and described it minutely. <laughs> uh, the Mongolian name Olgoi Korkoi translates unpleasantly to intestine worm, uh, as the creature is said to resemble the insides of a cow. Well, I hate that. <laughs> wait, just wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to legend, when the death worm attacks, it will raise half its body out of the sand and inflate until it explodes, covering anything nearby and a poison so venomous that any living thing it touches will die instantly. Uh, and it does prey specifically on livestock and humans. Sure. I mean, I I don't like it. <laughs> Uh, in a 1987 book, Czech cryptozoologist Ivan Makerly cited a Mongolian legend describing how, as the death room travels underground, it creates waves of sand on the surface that allow it to be detected, uh, though he may have just gotten it confused with Dune. I think that's also like a monster in uh, Legend of Zelda. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It's also, I think Tremors was actually based on this legend. I've never seen Tremors. <laughs> I definitely saw it at least once when I was a child, but I have, like, only the vaguest memories of it. It was a big worm. It was a big worm, yeah. Big dune worms, you know, the usual. (laughs) Was Timothy Chalamet writing it, though? No. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he was born. (laughs) There have been many organized expeditions and searches launched to find evidence of Mongolian death worm. None have managed to turn up any concrete evidence. Uh, tale as old as time. The general consensus among mainstream researchers is that it's very unlikely the Mongolian death worm exists and that the legend is mostly just exaggerated stories of reptiles known to inhabit the Gobi, such as the worm lizard or the sand boa. The worm lizard? It's a lizard without any limbs. Sarah, that's a snake. No, it was specifically described in my sources as a worm lizard. That is... A snake. (laughs) Now I have to Google it. Worm lizard. It has feet. The Mexican mole lizard. It's really cute. It actually is really cute. It's got little feetsies. 
I mean, the rest of the body is a terrible pink, like, slimy-looking mess, but, like, the first, like, maybe eighth of it? Yeah. Pretty sweet. Okay. I also, I just generally think snakes look cute, but I understand that I'm kind of a weirdo. Snakes can be cute, I just don't, it's like Tom Cruise. Like, I appreciate them, and they are, they're cute, but I don't want to hang out with them. Uh, So, in 1983, a specimen of a tartar sand boa was shown to locals who claimed to have seen the death worm, and they did indeed confirm that it was the same creature. So, asked and answered, I guess. I'm looking up the sand boa. I mean, it's kind of just like a snake. It's a snake. It's just like standard snake. snake. Very normal snake. Not to be, like, rude to the the sand boa. I mean, I'm sure it does great work, but it's a snake. (laughs) Uh, so if- I'm sorry, I have to send you this picture. This is the oh, no. dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. I can't wait. Look at this fucking derp noodle. What is that? <laughs> I love him. Emily. It's just the face of a, hey guys. Hey, hey guys. guys. <laughs> I'm just a little snake. <laughs> Y'all want to hang out and have snacks? <laughs> boop. Oh, that snake <laughs> does need a boop. Like a little boop. Right on its dumb face. This is great audio content. <laughs> I don't have room in this Instagram slideshow for this. Like, he is a separate one. <laughs> what kind of snake is this? No, I'm, I'm telling you what kind of snake it is so he can have his own slideshow. He is just a sand boa. <laughs> Old world sand boa. God, they're all so cute. Oh my I god, these snakes. idiots. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Jim Henson ass looking snake. They're so chubby. I love it. So so it it was a sand boa. It it was a snake. The end. (laughs) Uh, All right. So if you're traveling in Indonesia, specifically the island of Saram, you may want to watch out for the Orang Bati, a literal flying monkey. No, thanks. Fuck that. (laughs) The Orang Bati, which literally translates to man with wings, is typically described as being five feet in height with black leathery wings, red skin, and a long thin tail. That's a demon. Saram is the largest and primary island of Indonesia's Maluka province, and it is covered in mountains and dense rainforest, which does seem like the ideal place to hide a flying monkey. Uh, It is believed that the Orang Bati live in a network of caves that tunnel deep inside an extinct volcano known as Mount Karatu. Starting in the 16th century, the local Malukans began sharing chilling stories of these creatures with Christian missionaries, uh, particularly (laughs) their nighttime raids on local villages and their penchant for kidnapping babies and small children, uh, presumably to be eaten. I don't know what else they would do with babies. Raise them to be productive members of their (laughs) monkey society. (laughs) Their monkey society. Uh, It is said they emit a long, mournful wail when they attack. Uh, While the creature is most often linked... Uh, likened to a winged primate, some re- researchers have pointed out that this could also match the description of some kind of pterosaur. So again, everyone just wants everything to be dinosaurs. I don't know why I was so willing to believe that the one in Africa was a dinosaur, but this one I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a monkey. Um, others have pointed out that the description could actually point to the Orang Bati being some sort of giant bat. That seems more likely. With a face resembling a monkey. That's kind of how weird faces. Like if you've ever seen a flying fox, you can see how one might be mistaken for a flying monkey. So this seems completely reasonable to me. So they don't get quite that big in Indonesia, but... Bats are the owls of Asia. Yeah. Bats are the owls of Asia. They do grow up. They're like, I think the biggest bat can grow up to five feet long. It's a big fucking bat. Considering the wingspan. Yeah. Too big. Actually, I would love it. I, I'm sure it gives great hugs. Sarah might need some like human interaction. <laughs> From here, we're going to hop over to the Philippines to meet Amo Mongo, a hairy man-sized ape that likes to disembowel goats with its unusually long fingernails. Ew! No! <laughs> it is said to live in caves near the mount or near the foot of Mount Canleon, a volcanic mountain near the municipality of La Castellano. While the name Amomango translates simply to ape, there are no apes native to the Philippines, which makes the events of June 20, 2008 a little strange, to say the least. Lay it on me. On the nights of June 9th and 10th, two men from La Castellana, Elias Galvez and Salvador Aguilar, reported that they had been attacked by a hairy creature with long nails on two separate occasions. Uh, so both men managed to escape, but narrowly, both times. Are they sure it wasn't just, like, some uh, houseless man who lives in the woods? 
you never know. Like crazy uh, Jorge, just lives in the woods. <laughs> to give him some credit, Aguilar was treated at a local hospital for scratches on his face, back, and hands. Uh, the creature also allegedly slaughtered a bunch of chickens and a goat and feasted on their intestines. That's like the worst part of both of those animals. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, locals to the area consider Amomongo more akin to like a wild animal than anything intelligent or supernatural, such as yeah. witches or the shape-shifting Aswang. Um, it's possible, like possibly that they think maybe it was just forced to attack farm animals due to a shortage of food on the volcano. Who knows? <laughs> I've got nothing else on that one. <laughs> All right. It's like, I, I kept looking into it and I'm like, surely they're like stories go back decades, centuries, thousands of years. And every source I found were like, in 2008, these two guys got it. <laughs> and that seems to be largely These two the guys proof. saw a bear. I... <laughs> From the Philippines, we're traveling down under to Australia, which, as everyone knows, is just full to the brim of things that want to kill you but maybe none as earnestly as the bunyip. I've heard of this. I can't remember anything about it. The bunyip can be found in the lakes, rivers, lagoons, and waterholes of Australia. They are amphibious, nocturnal, and lay their nests or lay their eggs in platypus nests. Because why not? Rude. <laughs> Descriptions of the bunyip vary wildly, uh, but they typically fit into one of two categories. So most of the sightings describe a creature resembling a seal or a manatee, about four to six feet long, shaky brown coat. They kind of have like bulldog heads with like big ears and whiskers. I am having such a hard time conceptualizing what this looks like. How do you spell that? B-U-N-Y-I-P. It's a weird looking thing, to be fair. Um, Others describe something with a long mane neck and a small head, similar to that of a horse or an emu. What the Uh, fuck am I looking at right now? (laughs) They range somewhere between 5 and 15 feet in size with dark fur, large ears, and small tusks. I got nothing for you, man. That's like a non-Euclidean cryptid. Like, there's (laughs) the the shapes don't make sense. I cannot wait to see which picture you have shared. Oh, yeah. That's the picture I'll use for the slideshow. Like, I don't know either. It's a weird one. Well, like, and this little statue just makes it look like a fucking... uh, animal from the uh from the labyrinth <laughs> that's australia gotta get a little creative everything down there kind of crazy uh whatever it looks like most of the stories do agree on one thing uh bunyips love to hunt down and devour humans particularly women and children because they're the tastiest seems a little sexist but it's also a monster so <laughs> just like many of the creatures we've already discussed Tales of the Bunyip began as Aboriginal folklore and were further spread when European settlers arrived in Australia. Uh, the Sydney Morning Herald ran stories of encounters with the Bunyip, and the Australian Museum even put a purported Bunyip skull on display in 1846. Ah, uh, yes. When you said the date, that made sense. <laughs> a lot more sense, yeah. Uh, people have theorized that the stories of the Bunyip may have stemmed from the occasional encounter with a seal, uh, as they have been known to make their way up the Murray and Darling Rivers makes sense seals don't really attack people though no but i mean people tell stories yeah that's the thing it's like it's always like kind of something mundane that gets blown up into something kind of scary in my experience most things work yeah um others believe that the bunyip may be a cultural memory of any number of extinct australian marsupials like the diprotodon diprotodon that's a word either in finding their fossils or crossing paths with the prehistoric creatures themselves hmm so who knows all right, our final cryptid, uh, in easily the weirdest, even weirder than the bunyip, is the Ningen. And it is said to be found in the oceans of Antarctica and South and Southern Asia. You said this was terrible. Go ahead and Google Ningen. N-I-N-G-E-N. N-I-N-G. No! 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 Fuck you! <laughs> They will haunt your dreams. Uh, Ningen are described as huge, pale-skinned creatures 20 to 30 meters long, whose form resembles the head, torso, and legs of a human being. It looks like the the Fresno Nightwalkers. (laughs) They are said to have no distinct facial features, save for two large eyes and a mouth-like slit. Uh, Other eyewitnesses have described Ningens that, like, maybe possess, like, a mermaid-like tail in tendril-like arms. Um... Either way, I hate it. It's awful. It's horrible to look at. So reports of the Ningen first appeared on the Japanese internet forum 2Channel. 
so this is another long block quote here, but it is, I heard that the research whaling, research whaling surrounded the, surrounding the Antarctic Sea conducted by the Japanese government is not only conducting research on the whales they catch, but also researching and recording whales they do not catch, the post read. In the last few years of research, it is said that, quote, some objects that cannot be officially announced have been witnessed. This information is gained directly from a person involved. They, these are what is called, among people related to research whaling, hitogata butai, or human-shaped objects. <sighs> the HSOs. Yeah. Uh, it is said that on the first sighting, the research believe, researchers believed they were seeing a foreign submarine, <laughs> only realizing it was a living animal as they got closer. So like the underwater version of nope. <laughs> Yes. Supposedly, they were able to document this sighting with both photos and video. But of course, this evidence is being suppressed by the government for reasons. Just while reasons. You, <laughs> while you can find alleged photos of the Ningen online, they do look a little silly. I don't like it, but they're kind of silly. It um, looks like if you slapped legs on Pac-Man and made him white. Yeah. Um, it, it said that this could be on purpose, that some people have gone so far as to say that the images available online have been made unbelievable on purpose to cast more doubt on the creature's existence. Because yes, it's a conspiracy. Uh, the Ningen is one of the first cryptids to surface in the internet age, and while the story has since spread far beyond Japan, the Ningen has apparently reached Bigfoot levels of notoriety there. It has been the subject of several J-pop songs and has been featured in manga <laughs> and other forms of media. I'm gonna I, need to I find would a love clip. to read a full manga about the Ningen. I was like, I don't want to hear a song about it. <laughs> so that... Again, not a creature that was in my consciousness before I researched this episode. Um, and now it'll never leave. Could have gone my entire life without ever hearing about it. But now now everybody has. And enjoy. You're welcome. I don't know. Maybe it's like a tulpa. And now that we've covered it, like we've just made it stronger. Have you ever thought about that? No, but I don't like thinking about like, thinking like that. <laughs> anyway, the Ningen will visit you in your nightmares tonight. And... If you don't forward this podcast to 10 friends, the Ningen will find you in your dreams. If you don't leave a five-star review. This is our new uh, ad campaign. We're, we're doing chain letters. Yes. Uh, perfect. Well, well, that was uh, horrifying. I hope we all learned something deeply terrible today. <laughs> um, it's either bats or seals. It's or bats, dinosaurs. it's seals, it's snakes. It's snakes. Maybe a sea lion. Maybe. Yeah, if anything was to be considered a snick, it would be that little fucking sand boa. <laughs> it's because both of its eyes are, like, on top of its head, so it looks just really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, cute dumb. Like, a pit bull is, is cute dumb. I can see it. The only issue I have is I still don't know what the fuck a drop bear is. I think that's kind of the joke. Is it? Based on my limited knowledge of drop bears, Yeah. I thought a drop, uh, yeah, a drop bear is just a carnivorous koala. Yeah, that sounds right. All right, okay. maybe well, a koala with syphilis. I hear they all, or no, I think they all have chlamydia. Yeah, um, they're cute, but don't touch them. Yeah, no. which is actually the case with a lot of wild animals. Like maybe just don't touch wild animals. Yeah, you can just appreciate from a distance. That's fine. Oh my god, I want to boop the nose of a koala so bad though. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a picture of a koala just because I can. Oh, lovely, thank you. Aww. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a fun uh, camp field trip. I'm excited to get back and uh, do wood burning. Yeah. Uh, and then we're all going to make lanyards. Ooh, I love making lanyards. You know, now that I think about it, they probably shouldn't let a group of 11-year-olds do wood burning, and yet they did. That's what camp is all about, isn't it? Doing shit. That, yeah, I mean, I carried around a pocket knife for most of Girl Scout camp because we actually used it, and, like, I learned how to whittle. Like, I was a, you know, 55-year-old... <laughs> Uh, man from Appalachia. I was going to assume it was because you were scared of Bigfoot, but... No. Uh, no, I actually wasn't afraid of a lot in the woods. Um, I think that the most afraid I have been in the woods was when I, I had mushrooms uh, when we were camping and I uh, was convinced <laughs> that I was going to get abducted by an alien. This probably just speaks to what an anxious child I was, but when I... So I grew up on a farm and we had not woods, but just like a grove. Like literally you plant some trees around your farm site to protect it from the wind. Yeah. Um, but we it had been kind of overgrown. It was very old growth. Uh, 
I used to be afraid of going in the grove in the wintertime because I thought there were polar bears in there. Yeah, not a huge issue. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I've never really... No, that's not true. I wasn't afraid of the woods until I watched the Blair Witch Project at my friend's house and she lived out in the middle of buttfuck nowhere and I will tell you I did not sleep that night. Imagine being 13 and going to see signs in the movie theater with your friend in the middle of summer and then driving back the half an hour from a movie theater because the nearest movie theater is a half an hour away uh, and it's just cornfields on both sides of you all the way home. Yeah, but you had Jesus to protect you. <laughs> Which was the whole point of that fucking movie. (laughs) I'm not still mad about the ending of Signs. It's fine. I was too young to get the metaphor, so I could actually enjoy it. I didn't watch Signs until I was uh, six months ago. and (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it probably hits different when you're like 12. I'm furious. I'm like, so the whole point of this movie is that he went back to Jesus? Like, he knows that there's life on other planets, and he's still like, but sky god... (laughs) Fuck you, Mel Gibson. I... <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I saw the new Wes Anderson movie that was supposed to be about aliens. Were it's you really about... expecting it to be about aliens from Wes Anderson? <sighs> no. I mean, aren't there his was films an just alien. mostly metaphor? <laughs> no, the the like the movie is framed as a documentary about the making of a play about like the the people in the the desert Sagan aliens. So you're basically watching the movie version of a play and then bits about the making of the play. It was very Wes Anderson up his own ass. And I was like, going to say, that's more levels than Inception. I'm not interested. Yeah. So it was fun to look at and there oh, were some yeah. genuine, genuinely funny parts and I liked everybody in it. However, it was fine. Like it was capital F fine. There wasn't enough alien content for me and that, <laughs> that's on me for thinking that there would be. That that is a very you complaint. It's just there weren't enough aliens in the movie. And that's well, fair. when you find out that Jeff Goldblum is playing a fucking alien, you get excited. <laughs> he had thirty seconds of screen time. It was like when I watched all of Sin City two because Lady Gaga was in it, and like that movie is a pile of horse shit. Oh Jesus! I guess I, I'm gonna like smooth that over with a movie that I have enjoyed. Uh, I watched 31 again last night. It's very violent and it's very fun. So, like, there's a good movie for you. Uh, It's a Rob Zombie movie. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, it's about a a bunch of carnies in the late 70s who get kidnapped by Malcolm McDowell and some old ladies, and then they have to fight clowns for 12 hours. Is the movie 12 hours long? No. Or... Okay. Uh, that does make it sound like they just kind of put them in a cage and then, like, this constant stream of, like, clowns. But it's... It's creepier than that. I mean, I assume they are, like, killing their way out of whatever situation they've landed themselves in sort of thing. Uh, Yeah, basically. Um, The the lady that voiced Tommy Pickles is in it as one of the clowns that's trying to do murder, and it is a jarring experience. I was going to say, does she do the Tommy Pickles voice? That's her fucking voice, dude. (laughs) That that would throw me a little bit. Her voice, like, she also uh, voiced um, Bubbles in uh, Powerpuff Girls. So that's, you know, it's an experience. Uh, it also proves that Malcolm McDowell will pretty much do anything at this point, which yeah. good for him. <laughs> and that's movie reviews with Emily. Um, tune in next week for my review of Barbie, which isn't going to be next week because we've already recorded that. I do still think we should re-release Barbie. <laughs> Capitalize on the SEO. Yes. Yeah, slap it back on the feed. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Um, okay. So if you've seen a cryptid... <laughs> You can find us on Instagram at Afternoonified. We are not using the Twitter anymore. Like I already said, I, I did predict it. threads. We're just too tired. We'll get around to it. I'm still, like, finding my footing on threads. It's a new experience. <laughs> it is nicer than Twitter, which isn't hard. No. I mean, Twitter was the worst place on the internet. So, yeah, uh, we're just on Instagram right now. We'll we'll keep you updated. Um, you can also find us on our website at getafternoonified.com. Uh, email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, stepping back to our website, you can find a link to our merch store there where we will have a special, uh, I don't want to say limited edition. No, we'll probably just leave it up. I'll probably like- just leave it up because it's cute. But we'll have uh, your very own Camp Afternoonified t-shirt and uh, merit badges. Yeah, we're, we're going to capitalize on the bit a little bit. 
And like I said, I was stoned and feeling creative. So here we are. I and th- who doesn't want a merit badge in amateur archaeology? <laughs> <laughs> I got my merit badge and whatever the fuck the one that we came up with right before recording this up was. Ventriloquism. Ventriloquism. <laughs> um, yeah. So remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. And we will see you next week for our first campfire session. Uh, try not to annoy your bunkmates. And uh, lights out at 10 p.m. <laughs> Them's the rules. Good night, everybody. Good night. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below. <laughs>